1: Listenership is much appreciated. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you for tuning in tonight. The Oilers will be back on the ice tomorrow at 10, 10 to 3. Training camp open to the public for fan day. Scrimmage starting around 1045, 1050. And uh, you can hang around and uh, see practices as well. Scrimmage is much more entertaining than the practices. I can assure you of that. First preseason game for the Oilers in Calgary Monday, 7 o'clock face-off in Calgary. Our coverage will begin with the face-off show at 7.30. The Oilers are in Vancouver Tuesday. First home preseason game will be on Thursday against the Winnipeg Jets. Of course, we'll have every Oilers game for you on 6.30 Jet all season long. We're also the play-by-play voice of the Edmonton Eskimos, who are on a bye. Eskimos in Ottawa next Saturday, September 22nd, to take on... Say it with me, Patrick. The Ottawa Red, red black. Blacks. It's seven oh seven. You can text 6-30-6-30. This texter says experience is key. I don't think the Oilers can go wrong with Jason Garrison. I hope he makes it. He's been there, done that sort of thing. This texter adds, "I've won playoff drafts with, Harrison, with Garrison." Ha ha. We need experience. Bottom line. Okay. Uh, well. That's that's something in his favor, and the Oilers have have uh, you know often failed in the past because they they've put unproven players into the lineup and they haven't been able to handle that responsibility or haven't had the talent level that was hoped to them. That is that's the advantage of a player like Garrison. Even having Russell in your lineup, uh, you know what you're going to get, uh, and it may not be in Russell's case. It may not be spectacular, but if Chris Russell plays 82 games, he's probably going to be pretty level for 74 75 of them he might have six to eight rough nights but he's pretty good most nights um Garrison has that experience. Now, he didn't play much in the NH. What did he play? Eight games last year with Vegas. He was uh, in the minors most of the season. So I think you maybe worry a little bit about a a drop-off in ability with Garrison. But sure, the experience, especially on defense, knowing what to do in situations, uh, that can't be a bad thing. I I don't know if he's going to be able to squeak onto the roster, but we got one texter pulling for him. That's for sure. Uh, D says, Reed, you just created a new stat line. Who cares about Corsi or Fenwick? Well, his RO rating is a 64, so I think he would be a good pickup for the Oilers. You did it, Reed. That's a text to 630, 630. The reasonable optimism, the RO rating. So you could say, uh, okay, here's here's the thing. Uh, what's your RO on McDavid getting 80 points? 100. Right? You'd be completely optimistic that McDavid's going to get 100 points. Hey, what's your uh, what's your RO on Darnell Nurse signing a contract before midnight? Zero, right? So that's how it would work. Reasonable optimism. How reasonable is it to be optimistic about what you're putting forward? There we go. We got an RO rating. Is there a reasonable pessimism as well? Well, we just got a text from Yakishev, <laughs> who, as you know, is a very entertaining yeah. texter. Oh, yeah. I believe from the Lloydminster area, or right in Lloyd, in the good old border city. Uh, Yakashev says, reasonable optimism, I am going with pessimistic trepidation. More questions than answers. Hopefully I am wrong. Well, but a pessimistic trepidation would be a low RO rating. So it's yeah, still really no, an but RO it's, rating. It's the contrast, RO or PT. How do you feel about this scenario? Oh, <laughs> well, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you have RO or PT about <laughs> Strom getting 50 points or it's whatever? It's right. balanced, right? The ying and the yang. There we go. <laughs> Well, we've—I think we've done enough. Personally, we've come up with a new stat. That's the show. We should be able to go home early. That's <laughs> done. But we're booked until eight. That's—that's that's fine. Uh, you can keep texting 630-630. What's your RO on Miko Koskinen being a competent backup goaltender? He did get a, a nice little deal—one year, two and a half million dollars. Here's GM Peter Shirelli. There was
0: probably six or seven teams, and uh, he's—he had a real kind of. Terrific stint in the in the KHL and uh, uh, he became you know, goalies matured differently and he became he became available and, and he he left a ton of money on the table in, in the KHL and he wanted to come over here. He believes he can be a number one goalie. Um, we, we, you know, maybe we paid a little bit more to get one year. And yep. we, we wanted to sync that up. We wanted to have a competition here, uh, and it, uh, in the short term and in the long term, uh, He might possibly be a long-term goalie uh, with us. So, I mean, the the market's a little different, but we, we, we felt we needed to shore up that side of it, and uh, and and he's a guy that we think's going to uh, going to push Cam. And, uh, and, you know, hopefully by, at the end of the year we'll be able to look at two goalies to decide which one is our goalie of the future.
1: All right, so Shirelli saying other teams involved on Koskinen and uh, they gave him a little more than originally budgeted uh, because they were trying to stick to a one-year contract. So there's Shirelli's reasoning on that. Now, another quick note today. Re- Detroit Red Wings' uh, Henrik Zetterberg. He, uh, he's retiring. Uh, some back issues. And uh, that's it for Zetterberg, 37 years of age. And of course, Todd McClellan was uh, an assistant coach on the Detroit staff, uh, had Zetterberg as a player.
2: Hank was uh, an outstanding player, and he was just as good a person. I sent him a text today and reminded him that he made coaching fun. When he came to the rink, he had fun with Hank because he did everything right. He was passionate about the game. He practiced the way he needed to practice. He had great leadership skills. Uh, He enjoyed playing the game was happy to discuss things. So, um, you know, if you could bottle that up and sprinkle it around every individual that's in this camp or in the Oil Kings camp or somewhere else and uh, make sure each of those young players, my sons included, got, uh, got that... Sprinkle on them, uh, you'd end up with pretty good players. So, credit to Hank and his career, and uh, it was a pleasure coaching him.
1: Yeah, great player for sure. He was fun to watch. It is 7:12. You can keep the text coming to 6 30, 6 30. More Oilers stuff as we move along. Big night tomorrow for the Edmonton Huskies. They have their gala dinner. We'll catch up with their offensive coordinator and a Grey Cup champ with the Eskimos back in 03, Rick Walters, when we return.
0: Subscribe to the Inside Sports Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find
1: your podcasts. This is 630 Chad Inside Sports. Two minutes into the third quarter, Lions leading the Alouettes 10-6. Travis Lule dislocated shoulder early in that game for the BC Lions. Some guests on Inside Sports get gift certificates to Northern Chicken, bringing down-south comfort food to Edmonton with Southern Classics and other tasty treats. Salivate over the menu at NorthChickenYEG.com. Pleased to welcome to Inside Sports, former Edmonton Eskimo offensive coordinator for the Edmonton Huskies, Rick Walters. Rick, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Reed. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on the show. The Edmontonuskies have their gala dinner coming up tomorrow night. I want to talk to you a little bit about that. But uh, on the field, the team halfway through the Prairie Junior season and uh, sitting there with a record of 3-1 and one after getting a split in a home-and-home home with Regina. Look, I know you guys were coming off a good season last year and 3-1 and, uh, three and one so far this year. Uh, how do you feel the team has played?
3: i think i think we've been uh, doing a pretty good job uh, i think that uh like every year is a, a new year and so you have to go in and and figure out where your strengths are going to be and your weaknesses and um you know we're starting a, a lot of new starters a new quarterback some new receivers some new guys on the offensive line new running backs so that's kind of i guess all the positions on offense uh the same with defense has always changed uh, that's one of the Unique things that you have to you have to be aware of in junior football is that uh, change is change is kind of commonplace and so you have to prepare for that and, and, and be okay with that but I think so far so good I think three and one uh, to get out the gate I think it's think pretty good Regina is a, a really good team and to split with them uh, you know we we're a little disappointed after the first game here but uh, we played pretty well in, on a really good road game. Uh, last week, so uh, you know it's great. It's a great time to come with a buy is after a win, so so it's
1: pretty good. You, you mentioned a uh, new quarterback, and you as the offensive coordinator. That's obviously going to be a, a player you work with a lot. Now, was he uh, was he with you last season? Is he is he a rookie of the team? And how do you make sure uh, a new QB gets up to speed and can handle everything that's required of him? Uh,
3: Tom, it's Tommy Yanchuk. He's out of Lloyd, and he's actually in his second year. And um, I think what we, we purposely went into last year saying that um, uh, he was going to play a lot. And we, we had the, the reigning MVP in Brad Lawnart, and so he went on to win MVP again last year. But uh, what was important to us is that Tommy got a chance to play in, in every quarter, in every game. So he, he, we'd go in, he'd play in the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, uh, and he usually played a lot of the fourth quarter because um, we we're ahead a lot last year. But... But regardless of what the score was in the first quarter, he, he was going in. Uh, we wanted to make sure he took as many snaps as as um as he could, uh, just to, with the realization that he, that Brad wasn't going to be around for for past this year. And, and so that that was kind of the plan going in, and and we didn't d- deter from it. Uh, we knew that it would make Tommy a better player and it would make our team a better team. And and so far, so good. He's he's done a pretty good job of um, being able to to grasp grasp the system and and, and execute it pretty well. So, um, yeah, it's worked out.
1: Rick, uh, obviously a lot of people will, uh, will also remember you as, uh, as a member of the Edmonton Eskimos, a Grey Cup champion uh, with the Eskimos, and, and obviously you've been coaching. You were the head coach of the Huskies before you were with the U of A, uh, back with the Huskies in an offensive coordinator role. Was that, a, was that a, a transition you were already thinking about making as a player that you wanted to be a coach, or, or when did the, the spark really ignite in your mind?
3: You know, I, I think so. I think, I think uh, going in uh, when uh, probably my life. You no, know, probably you know when I got back to, the, to Edmonton with the Eskimos for the last five six years. Um, we had a really good team uh, after probably from 2000 to 2005. Uh, and so one of the things that we we, we did a lot. We're, we're I think we were cerebral. Group, especially offensively and defensively, and we'd sit in the back. Uh, myself, Ed Hervey, uh, Terry Vaughn, uh, Jason Tucker, uh, Rick Wisthelia, Ricky, Jason Moss, and we'd kind of sit and we and we talk about plays and talk about things we liked all the time, things we didn't like. Uh, I, I think we we helped the coaches a lot about what would work, what didn't, what wouldn't work, and and I think you start to formulate what what kind of would to coaching post-life, and, and, and so I always kind of saw myself, I guess, when I was playing as a coach, I, I saw things really quick on the field. I wasn't a 4'4 guy, um, but I had to be smart in, in order to understand defenses and where you could go or where you couldn't go, and I think a lot of that has helped uh, uh, transpire into, into coaching. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things that you learn really quickly is that um, – uh, players or players who play at a high level doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to
1: be a, a good coach. Rick, you know, obviously I've, I've talked to other players from that era of the Eskimos, uh, you know, winning the great cup in 03 and 05, uh, going to the great cup in 02. And uh, a lot of them say that, that there was a lot of, a lot of intelligent players on the team who, uh, you know, would talk about things with each other and, and even sometimes take things to the coaches you know, obviously in a respectful way and say, hey, look, I think we might be uh, needing to do more of this than more of that. I mean, how how important is it? Because football has that reputation of being such a regimented sport. Um, but how important is thats is that dialogue that, that players need to be comfortable uh, stepping up with ideas?
3: Oh, it's huge. It's huge. It's huge. Like, one of the things I tell our guys right now is that is that uh, coaches don't win games, players win games. And so what, what you want to be able to do is put your players in good situations to be comfortable and them to understand what they're doing and, and then to have an open dialogue where they can come respectfully and, and articulate what they think will work, what won't work. And, and we had that with uh, when we were playing, whether it was Coach Matthews or Coach uh, Coach Matocha or Coach Higgins, uh, we were able to, and I think a lot of it goes with the respect and the understanding that we weren't bringing suggestions just trying to get extra balls or get extra catches we're bringing suggestions with the, with the fact that we thought that it might help the offense or help the defense uh, and it really didn't matter at that time who was who was getting passes we understood that uh, that everybody will remember the the great cup champs um, that, you know that you don't necessarily remember how many ca- how many balls you caught in the Labor Day rematch in you know in 2003 but you're going to remember who won the great cup that year
1: uh, I'm pretty sure, though, I remember ca- you catching a ball. Didn't you uh, cut through the <laughs> middle in the 0-2 Grey Cup when the Alouettes blitzed Ricky and you slipped out of the backfield and got a touchdown? I did, yeah. Game? Yeah, uh, yeah.
3: I did catch a touchdown. I did, I did. But you know what? I, I, do, I remember the 2000, and uh, I do remember that play, but I remember the Grey Cup game that we won a whole lot more. Right. Uh, you, you remember a play here or there, but uh, you know it lasts a lifetime. Being able to win a championship with a with a group of guys—that's uh, uh, that—that that will stay in your mind forever.
1: Rick Walters joining us tonight on Inside Sports, offensive coordinator for the Edmonton Huskies. So uh, you guys have your gala tomorrow night. You mentioned Jason Moss. He's going to be there as a keynote speaker, so that's great. Uh, uh, He's on his bye week as well, so he's able to to help you guys. And I know that uh, this is to help out some really important causes as well, Rick. What can you tell us about those? Yeah, no, it's
3: it's great having Jay be our keynote speaker. I told I told him that we're gonna try not to have any Gatorade bottles <laughs> oh, or any headsets
1: <laughs> around. So uh, <laughs> now he accepts that kind of ribbing from his old teammates. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. I can't wait to hear that one though. Uh, but yeah, we get to have him there. Jay's great. He's he's a really good guy to hear speak. And if anybody has a chance to be sure it, he's uh, passionate. He knows what he's trying to get done. And and so uh, yeah, I like having Jay around. But. In terms of what we looked at with the with the gala when it first started, the second one that we're doing, and really we were trying to figure out a couple of years ago how we were going to be able to showcase Husky pride and be able to bring alumni back together um, as one at one of the key kind of uh, pillars you look at. I, I think the second one was just be able to honor the excellence of the Huskies and by honoring um, uh, you know a, a Hall of Fame class and so. Last year was the first one. This year, we'll be honoring the second class that goes in, and there'll be six really, really deserving individuals that will be going into into the Hall of Fame. And I guess the third kind of pillar we looked at was um, was just to continue to expand on the partnership that we had established three years ago with uh, the Gender-Based Violence Prevention Program, uh, which our guys all go through modules and, and training just on, on gender-based violence and, and what violence means, uh, watching PSAs about the... Um, and helping with uh, to kind of dictate what uh, what governments and and what change means in terms of violence prevention. So it's been a great initiative. Worked out really really well. Helped to change the culture within our locker room. So it's uh, it's been awesome to be a part of.
1: Yeah, that's really positive. Really important there, Rick. Well, it's going to be great tomorrow night. Uh, we're we're going to have to do this again. Uh, this is a long overdue first appearance on Inside Sports for you. But I'm going to throw uh, I'm going to throw a standard question. Uh, I'll get this out of the okay. way with you on this appearance. I have a standard question I ask uh, ex-athletes all the time. So, I'm, and, and you played in an interesting year in the Canadian Football League. Who's the best player you I ever did, played yeah. So here it is. Who's the best player you ever played with? And who's the best player you ever played against? Oh, um, wow. That's, that's some really good questions. Um,
3: you, you know, the the easy one to say that we played with, Uh, you know, it might've been Rick, Ricky Ray, that's an easy one, but I'm not going to say Ricky Ray. Uh, I'm going to say the best player we played with was Kez McCorvey. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, I think Kez was, uh, as far as as a route runner goes and being able to get in and out of his breaks and have good hands. He really had, he really had kind of it all. Um, he didn't have a long career uh which which you know will will make it you can't make it to a hall of fame or something like that. But for the short time he was here, he he was amazing. He really was. He was amazing. Like and I played with some really good players, whether it's Ed, Terry, um uh Jason Tucker. There's some great guys on the offensive side, uh Pringle, um, Avery, but uh Kez kinda he just sticks out as somebody that could do whatever he wanted on the football field. And and uh, only because of knee injuries kinda kinda ended that short. Uh best player to play against. Um um again you're playing an era there where there's some some great guys. Uh and it was an era where it wasn't uh it wasn't wide open in terms of um spread football and, and so and the rules were a little bit different there. Um but I think the guy I always kinda watched or I would tell you to watch him was, was Alan Pitts oh, yeah. in Calgary. Um uh, like he, you know, even when he's, he's a receiver, and so you're always watching opposing film, and you'd always your eyes would always levitate to him. You'd see the things he's able to do, and getting in and out of his breaks, being able to make plays, and um, I thought he he was real he was really good.
1: You know what? Uh, he's, he's His name has come up with, from other guys who played in your era as well, so that that's interesting to hear, absolutely. Rick, thanks for doing yeah, this. Uh, we'll, we'll, yeah, for sure. Keep in touch. Uh, we'll talk again throughout the Huskies uh, season, and it'd be, it'd be cool to touch base, great cup week as well. And I uh, hope the gala dinner goes great tomorrow night. I appreciate that.
3: And, and like I said, there's, few, there's a few seats that are still available, so if anybody wants more information, I'll just go to the – Huskies website, edmontonhuskies.com, but uh, appreciate having been coming on. Uh, it was a lot of fun.
1: Thanks, Rick. Rick Walters, man, that was awesome to catch up with him. Offensive coordinator for the Edmonton Huskies. Talked a little bit about his uh, CFL playing career. Won the Grey Cup with the Eskimos in Regina over Montreal in 2003. We'll get him on the show again for sure. A little bit more on the Oilers in the next half hour, and we'll talk about a football league that doesn't exist anymore. The new book is Football.
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
1: Fall for a buck about the USFL author Jeff Perlman. Coming up.
0: You're listening to 630 Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins.
1: Preseason action for the Edmonton Oil Kings in St. Albert, leading the Red Deer Rebels 1-0. Two and a half minutes left in the first period. Four and a half minutes left in the third quarter in Montreal. BC up 13-7 on the Alouettes, and they're deep in Alouettes territory here, first and 10. Jonathan Jennings in at quarterback since, uh, what was it, it was like three minutes into the game he went off, wasn't it, Patrick? Yeah, Travis three minutes left the game with a dislocated left shoulder, so his uh, bad injury luck continues. We, we have Travis on the show pretty much every season and uh, incredible attitude, and he's worked through so much injury-wise, but, man, they just keep popping up and biting him. Just want to uh, replay this clip from earlier. Peter Shirelli spoke to the media today, Oilers General Manager and President of Hockey Operations. Uh, you can get the full media scrum on 630chett.com on the Oilers page. Here's what he had to say about Darnell Nurse absent from training camp without a contract.
0: No real update. Yeah, I know he traveled home the other night, um, but well, I don't have an update for you. He's uh, We obviously couldn't come to an agreement, but we'll hope we can get him in camp at some point here shortly. Don't want to comment on specifics, but, I mean, he's uh, we've, we've had a, a lot of negotiations, so we'll see where it goes here shortly, but, I mean... Uh, there's a gap. I can tell
1: you there's a gap. Do
0: you have a plan B if you can't get him signed before the start of season? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it.
1: And the fizzler has texted in to 63630. He says, I think Shirelli's plan B is to hide under a pile of coats in his office and pray he doesn't get fired by Christmas. During the exam, I'll hide under some coats and hope that somehow everything will work out. From one of the greatest Simpsons episodes of all time, where Homer goes back to university. I believe Conan O'Brien wrote that episode. Oh, He wrote a lot of the good ones. Some other epic lines, curly, straight, curly, straight. (laughs) And then we'll wrap him up in a blanket and throw him off a bridge. (laughs) Gary spilled his ear medicine again. That is all from that episode. I'm is pretty really? sure. Wow. I've probably seen that. Well, I've seen that episode more than once. Let's just yeah. leave it at that. I should say you've quoted like at least five <laughs> lines from it. Already. There's a range of years with the Simpsons where I, there probably would have been points in my life where I had Simpsons episodes memorized. It's not. It's not that way anymore. But I can remember uh, a lot of them. It's not. And not that I think outrageous. I know who's behind this. Some crusty old dean. <laughs> Yeah, you, you continue to surprise me, Mister Wilkins. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure if that's a good thing. Tremendous. <laughs> now, now I'll, all I can th- I won't be able to focus the rest of the show. I'm just gonna. I, I got to get it back when we have Jeff Perlman on in a few minutes because he's a great author. Uh, Football for a Bucks, a really cool sounding book. But now, now I can't focus. I'm just trying to remember more lines from the Homer goes back to university. Let's just say, let's just say, I had the help of a little magic box. Did you use a computer to change your grades? Don't! <laughs> you remember that? Yeah, is it the one, too, when he pulled up and he yells at the guy, nerd? Yes. And he goes, hey, buddy, did you get a load of the nerd? Yeah. And they're like, excuse me? <laughs> yes, I Oh, And when they're going so. to save the dean's life from getting hit by a car? Yeah. Okay, so in 3.2 seconds, Mr. Simpson will come around the corner and we'll push the dean out of the way. Should we adjust for wind? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> everybody's looking for that one yep uh, are the simpsons on netflix i don't think they are. I don't are. think they are matt Groening has a new series on netflix but it's all oh, what's it called disen disenchanted or something like that and yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, not it's not an as anatomy. good as the simpsons but it's the first season so Okay. Off topic. Anyway, well, yeah, well, to me, <laughs> Simpsons are on topic. Okay. Because we'd like to have f- fun on this show. We can have many the Sim- discussions. The, about Simpsons the Simpsons in its prime, best television ever. Agreed. The first seven, eight seasons. Absolutely. Yeah, that's fair. Probably like three through yeah three through eight, probably for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's. I, I got to admit, I was still loyally watching it up until two years ago, and then finally, I mean, there's still there was still a lot of funny episodes, a lot of funny moments, but a lot of. Filler. Oh, now a lot of Bart's filler. best friends with this character, and it's going to be an odd couple type episode. So yeah, I, it's. Uh, I had this discussion with someone the other day. This exact discussion that The Simpsons had faded off. From, from Do you how imagine if they be? had? I mean, it's a cartoon, so they didn't have to. Can you imagine if they would have decided to age the characters like naturally, like they actually got a year older every year? So what? It's been on almost. Is it? It's over years It's over years, twenty years. It's 30, I mean, thirtieth. Sure. Like, Bart would be as old as Homer was when the show started. Uh, Anyway, uh, this is Inside Sports, not Inside The Simpsons, (laughs) and uh, we we do have a very entertaining guest coming up after this break. The new book is Football for a Buck. If you're uh, old enough to remember the USFL, you're going to love this. If you're learning about the USFL, you're going to love this, and you'll find out how a certain Donald Trump was involved in the demise of this league. That's when we get back on Inside Sports. (laughs)
2: the system down, we do,
1: we do, who the off the maps, who keeps oh. under wraps, we do, we do, seemed appropriate, another Simpsons classic, what were they the called again, the stone cutters, the stone cutters, the stone yeah, it was a take on the Freemasons, <laughs> that's a good one as well, <laughs> Yeah. Patrick Stewart voiced that one. He did so, yeah. yeah that's he was the right. voice of a character in that one. Remember we said the BC Lions were deep in Montreal's territory. The drive stalled and they attempted a 15-yard field goal. It was blocked by the Alouettes and run back for a touchdown. Dramatic turn. Final play of the third quarter, 14-13. The Alouettes now leading the Lions. Travis Luley knocked out of that game with a dislocated Shoulder. Oil Kings leading the Red Deer Rebels in WHL preseason action 1-0. That's after the first period game being played in St. Albert. All right, uh, love having Jeff Perlman on the show. Used to write for Sports Illustrated. He's churned out several outstanding and entertaining novels on a variety of sports topics. He's now turned his attention to the old... USFL the United States Football League the book is called Football for a Buck Jeff welcome back to the show how are you doing you know actually I spent the last five days in New York City promoting the book
2: now I'm sitting in Southern California and it's like 80 degrees and sunny and I'm under a palm tree so good
1: well as I've been saying to all my guests over the last couple of days it snowed in Edmonton this week so everything's right in the world right <laughs> is that true did it really yes it's like it's not sticking around but we did get some snow absolutely and that is not the place for
2: me. With all due respect
1: <laughs> to the great city of Edmonton. <laughs> well, it's funny. I, I was looking at your Twitter account. Uh, you retweeted a, some uh, praise for your book by uh, Terry Jones, longtime Edmonton uh, sports writer. I don't know if, you, if, if if you knew who Terry was or if, if that's why you retweeted him, but I thought, oh, yeah, t- uh, Terry has read Jeff's book and Jeff's given him a retweet. Yeah, I, uh, I knew
2: who he is. I, mean, I know who he is. But, you know, someone's nice enough to raise my book in the heart of
1: me trying to sell my book i'm i'm happy to spread the word yeah. <laughs> there you go well uh th- i i gotta i gotta tell you i i haven't read it yet i've uh, i've read most of your stuff um i mean i love your right well let, let's start there first is this the eighth book for you is that you're up to eight already yeah
2: it, yeah number eight
1: yeah Wow. Uh, and, and you've written about some stuff from, from eras that, that I really remember watching, uh, you know, as a teen or as a young adult. Um, the 86 Mets, the, uh, the Cowboys of the early 90s and sort of their rise and fall. And, you know, I, I really like Showtime, Jeff. I think I had you on a few years ago when that came out, but that was about the 1980s Lakers and, uh, you know, so many stars on that team and their rivalry with the Celtics. Um, that, that, one really, that, that one really stuck with me just because of the, the great stories about Magic Johnson and the coaching changes and maybe some of the, uh, you know, fair to say that some of the egos that might <laughs> might have damaged that team as they went through the 80s as well. Yeah,
2: you know what's interesting? I got to say, I've never had this happen before, um, and maybe it's a sign I'm just getting older. But this week, I've been promoting the book, and I've had a lot of people. And sometimes it's my book on the Mets. Um, sometimes it's a Cowboy. Sometimes it's a Showtime. Guy. And like, it's I know this sounds almost self-serving, but I really do mean it. It's so freaking gratifying when people say that I like something you wrote, and that's, you know. Showtime, that book probably came out four or five years ago. And the fact that you, you got some enjoyment out of it, I mean, that's uh, it's kind of what it's all about. So uh, I appreciate that in a, in a huge way.
1: Well, absolutely, and uh, the U.S. the book about the USFL uh, football for a buck, and it's, it's it's funny now, right? Because there's a generation of of, of fans, maybe a couple generations, who are kind of like, yeah, I think I've heard of the USFL. What 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 yeah. was that? So you're gonna educate some of those people. Um, but but I have a standard question I ask authors: uh, Why this book? What fired you up about this particular topic and and got you rolling?
2: Yeah, so I um. I've wanted to write this book for years and years. I would say a decade, I've been talking about writing the USFL book. And uh, I've always gotten no's. no, 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 too obscure. I don't know anything about it, blah, blah, blah. Who are you gonna sell it to? You know, the whole thing. And finally, I kind of built up enough, enough, whatever, swag, where I was able to get a really bad book deal for the USFL. And I just, um, I mean, I grew up a kid of the 80s. I was 10 when I started. And it was really magical to me. The uniform names, uh, excuse me, the uniform colors, the team names you know, gunslingers, gamblers, bandits, breakers, the uniforms with all the funky colors. And I remember being a kid at the Mayo Pack Public Library in my hometown, and it was uh, Herschel Walker on the cover, and it said, hitting pay dirt. And there was him in a New Jersey General's uniform. And for people who may not know, I mean, Herschel Walker, you know, he, he played at the University of Georgia. He was a Heisman Trophy winner. And he wasn't just another Heisman Trophy winner. Like He wasn't just another guy, or it's another year he wins the Heisman. This guy was an iconic college football player. He was larger than life. He was a terrifying runner, and he just did everything, and he was amazing. And um, when he jumped to the USFL, it was it blew my mind. And I always kind of carried that with me. And I always loved the USFL after that because it was so weird and so fun and so revolutionary, and they were stealing NFL players. So long story short, I always wanted to write the book. I just had to beg and plead to get it, and I finally got a really bad book deal, but good enough to write it.
1: A bit of an aside: Is there such a thing as a good book deal, or does your name have to be Stephen King for that to happen? <laughs> no,
2: there are. Good, I mean, you know, I've had I've had a good run, and, uh, and usually the book deals are good. And ideally, you're working on one book while you're getting paid for another book, so there's sort of a cash flow. You're not. I mean, if you're Michael Lewis, you get uber wealthy off of it. I just I just have a nice, comfortable life. But this book I did purely out of love. There are no. There's no. I only did in. A, I usually take two to three years on a book. This one I did in one year because I just couldn't sustain the uh, living on that kind of money. But it was worth it. It was just I finally did a book that I just had dreamed about for a long time, and I, I feel good about that.
1: Jeff Perlman joining us on Inside Sports. The new book is Football for a Buck, telling about the rise and fall of the United States Football League. Okay, Donald Trump uh, was an owner in that league, uh, and obviously he's the very controversial president of the United States. So, uh, did that, did that change the direction of the book at all when, when Trump became president or, or how do you handle his, uh, his presence in modern day news and in the USFL?
2: Well, first I want to say, we started this interview by you telling me snowing in Edmonton and I thought, oh, I would never live in Edmonton. And now I'm thinking, eh, maybe it's, maybe it's not so bad. I think I'd be happy to come up next year. Um, it didn't. It doesn't change the book. I mean, there's a there's an epilogue that talks about what happened to people, and obviously Trump became president. And and there's a certain passage prologue factor to some of the things Trump did with the USFL, and then what he did as president as a candidate. Um, but you know, I pitched the book originally way before he was a candidate, and what happened in 1983 to '85 doesn't have anything directly to do with his presidency. I mean he might tell you about what he was going to become and some of the greed and arrogance. But um, I really worked hard. Not, I mean, I'm not a fan of Donald Trump as a president. I think he's a horrible president. I thought he was a... When I was a kid, I loved him as the owner of the generals. He was the owner of my favorite team, and he spent a lot of money on good players. So back then, as a kid, I thought he was great. I, I really didn't want his presidency to impact sort of my approach to him as a U.S. of our owner because they're two different things.
1: Uh, now, would it be fair to say he was prominent in the demise of the USFL, or how would you characterize uh, his his participation in, in the league, eventually no longer existing? I would say he was the
2: president of the demise of the USFL. Um, so he basically the league started in eighty three. He bought the New Jersey General from another in nineteen eighty four, and then it was a spring football league. So in the lead up to Buying the team, he just praised the USFL nonstop and how great it was, and he loved spring football. And as soon as um, he got the team, he did a 180, and it was we need to move to fall. We have to go to fall immediately. Fall is where football is, and, and he he actually called for a secret meeting, him and Pete Rozelle, the commissioner of the, US, of the NFL. And he told Pete Rozelle, "I don't really care about the USFL. This league doesn't mean anything to me. I want to get an NFL franchise. And the only reason he got a USFL team because he thought it would be a gateway to getting an NFL team. And Pete Roselle told him as long as as long as Roselle was the commissioner of the NFL, Donald Trump would have nothing to do with the—I mean, he didn't trust him at all. He thought he was a flim-flam artist. And Trump pushed and pushed. The whole move to fall was Trump's idea, Trump bullying, Trump lying to the other owners. It was pure deceit, pure arrogance. He just wanted to force the NFL's hand to absorb his team, um, or at least him as an owner. And ultimately it led to the ruination of a, of a really good football league.
1: And uh well I mean I, I, again um you know I I remember the story and I don't want to give away everything from the book because we want people to read it but uh we should clarify the title for people who might not know Football for a Buck wasn't that the final uh court settlement <laughs> that they got a, a dollar yeah
2: so, yeah so basically what happened is the NFL uh, the USFL sued the NFL in an antitrust lawsuit and what they sued them for um They sued him for $1.3 billion, and the lawsuit was basically that the NFL was monopolizing fall television, and that the US had no no shot of going to fall because of the NFL's monopoly. And they also accused the NFL of plotting to destroy them. And both those things were true. The NFL did monopolize uh, fall TV, and they were desperately trying to kill the NFL. So uh, what Trump did is he hired an attorney for the league. Trump became the leader of the lawsuit. He just ran over everyone and became the leader. He hired an attorney named Roy Cohen. Was famous for here in America for uh, he was a lawyer for Joseph McCarthy during the McCarthy hearings. And um, Trump convinced the other owners, uh, told the other owners, that as soon as they hired Cohn, um, the NFL would fold and want to reach a settlement. Well, that didn't happen. And the lawsuit went on, and the NFL made Trump their bad guy. He was on the stand a lot, and he came off terribly arrogant and dismissive and a bully. So basically, the NFL went after him. We want this guy to be the voice of the USFL, and he was. But what the jury decided at the end of the day was, yes, the NFL was was guilty as charged, but the USFL ultimately was responsible for its own demise by so many stupid decisions, and they ended up rewarding them uh,
1: $1. Well, I hope it was well spent, Jeff. <laughs> uh, the check the check is actually in a vault in Memphis,
2: Tennessee. It, it was never cashed.
1: Oh, that's amazing. basic. <laughs> Uh, Jeff, we're, we're going to have to try to do this more often not just when you have a, a book come out because it's always great to have you on the air but the new one is Football for a Buck The Crazy Rise and Crazier Demise of the USFL author Jeff Perlman has joined us on Inside Sports Jeff, all the best with the book, man uh, Thank you so much Great writer. Awesome to have Jeff Perlman on Inside Sports. JeffPerlman.com if you want to check out some of the other things he has written. Okay, 11 minutes left in Montreal. Lions up 16-14 on the Alouettes. Montreal just punting to BC. Fan data more at Rogers Place. Free admission from 10 to 3. You can watch the Oilers scrimmage, a whole bunch of other stuff going on. So check that out uh, if you would like. We'll have an Oilers broadcast on Monday, 5:30 for the Faceoff Show game at seven, as uh, the Oilers will take on the Calgary Flames. So no Inside Sports on Monday. I'll have the Faceoff Show instead, and uh, no Eskimos Coaches Show with Jason Moss either. That'll be on later in the week, as the Eskimos will get back to work to take on the BC Lions or the Ottawa Redblacks. Uh, by the way, Drake Kajula didn't skate today for the Oilers. A little under under the weather. We'll see if he's back out there tomorrow. Hey, on Wednesday, uh, this will be pretty cool. Mayor Don Iverson is going to be on with Jespo from eleven. 30 to Noon. Then he's going to go over and be on uh, our friends at Global Edmonton on the Noon News. You have a question for Mayor Iverson. Send it in. Ask the Mayor at globalnews.ca. The producer of Inside Sports is Dave Campbell. The studio producer this evening is Patrick Bauer. Thanks to everybody who called in and texted. Always love doing the show with you. My name is Reed Wilkins. Have a great weekend.
0: Down this road that never seems to end When you adventure lies just around the bay